Good morning. It's good to see you and, and good to be with you in worship and uh, through the ministry of the word this morning. Last week, we talked about problems and we talked about how they're inevitable. And we, we talked about how there are many kinds of problems that come into our lives. We talked about how they are unpredictable. They do not arrive at our doorstep on our schedule or in accordance with our timing. And then we talked about problems always, if we allow them to lead to the fulfillment of God's purposes. So problems can be incredibly purpose generating. And um, we, we learned to bring these moments, these pro- problems um, into our lives through, through some surrender and to allow God to build our character. And ultimately, problems build our person. And, uh, and we're thankful to God for that. And I challenged you when it comes to problems to, and it wasn't just my challenge, but it was the challenge of James himself. The book that we're actually reading is the book of James. James says, look, rejoice when these things happen to you. Rejoice. And then he says, make a request of God for wisdom in the midst of those problems. And then he says, relax, trust God. And we talked about how we need to rest in God when it comes to journeying through the problems that are ours. And so we here at The Bridge, we acknowledge that life is problematic. And uh, not always, but sometimes uh, it's quite problematic to us and we face reality here at The Bridge. And we believe that God brings to us a good word related to what is real in our human experience. So we're really grateful to God for the gift of his holy word, which we're going to enter into right now. So Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you and we just ask that you would bless the word of God this morning. And we ask God that we would be built up and strengthened and inspired. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... Immediately after speaking about problems, James then deals with the matter of decision making. In the midst of our problems, we need to make decisions, and the decisions that we make are often life-altering. So there is is for us not just the realization that problems exist in accordance with James, but James also says that in the midst of deciding and in the midst of making your way through those problems, we have a resource. We have a resource, and the resource is of course God himself, but wisdom, the wisdom that God himself brings into our lives. So we're gonna talk about how in our decision-making process, how we can include the wisdom of God. So James chapter one verses five through eight is our text for this morning. You'll be able to read it on the screen behind me, but feel free to look it up on your phones or within your Bibles. So it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. 
that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So there's some instruction in this section of verses for us here this morning, and James is going to be leading us towards the resource that comes from God himself, and that is wisdom. So life is full of decisions, and life is basically a series of choices, and then the unfolding of consequence related to those choices. So we must evaluate, we must decide, and we must draw conclusions, and eventually we make decisions where there is a commitment involved. Frank Borum said, we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. And the quality of our life will be determined by the kind of decisions that we make. And some of them we regret, but some of them we also feel extremely good about. A young businessman went to an executive one day and asked for wisdom. What is the secret of business success? The man said, wise decisions. Well, how can, I, how can I learn to make wise decisions, the young man said. The older man said, experience. Well, how can I, how can I get experience? And the older gentleman said, dumb decisions. <laughs> dumb decisions. The fact is, because we are human, we all have a great possibility for error. For some of us, that's a little harder. For those of us who have perfectionistic tendencies, we, we have a great possibility for error being human. We wait too long, we pay too much, we, we say the wrong thing. And some of you are, are making decisions this very week. Some of you uh, don't know if, you, if you'll have a major decision to make tomorrow, but life is full of choices related to circumstances that come our way. James talks about how we can make those decisions. How do you make up your mind? He gives us the problem, he gives us the prescription, and then of course he gives us the promise from God. So we're gonna look first of all at the problem which is indecision. And he addresses that in this text. He says a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. And if you look at the Greek word and the wording that describes this idea of double-mindedness, it literally means two souls. Two souls, two, two things going on in your heart. A divided heart is what it's actually referring to. And one of the great maladies of humanity is a heart that is distracted and or divided. And it literally means to be pulled apart in different directions, divided loyalties, divided priorities. King Solomon said it best, he said, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. So James is addressing this, this idea of doubt and this double-mindedness, and it literally means to be two-souled. It, 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 there's not a single-mindedness about your approach to life and or the problems that you're experiencing. There's the story written by the wonderful, wonderful fictional character, Dr. Seuss, and it's about the guy who couldn't make up his mind. Did I ever tell you about young Zod, who came to two signs in the fork in the road? 
He looked one way and the other two. The Zod had to make up his mind as to what to do. Well, the Zod scratched his head and his chin and his pants and he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance. If I go to one place, that place may be hot, so how will I know if I'll like it or not? On the other hand though, I'll feel such a fool if I were to go to place two and find that it's too cool. In that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So place one may be the best and not place two. On the other hand though, if place one is too hot, I might get in a terrible earache and die. On the other hand though, if place two is too low, I might get a terrible pain in my toe. So place one might be best. And he started to go. Then he stopped and he said, on the other hand, other hand, other hand though, the first 36 hours and one half that zoed made starts and made stops at the fork in the road saying, no, don't take a chance. It may not be right. Then he got an idea that was wonderfully bright. Play safe, cried Zod. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start off to both places at once. And that's how the Zod, who made, who would not take a chance, went no place at all with a split in his pants. A great illustration about indecision and how it can sometimes cripple us or paralyze us. And sometimes you just simply have to make a decision. Double-mindedness is devastating and debilitating. It makes you unstable. In fact, again, the Greek words that are used to describe a person who is double-minded, it speaks of stumbling as if one was intoxicated. It's that idea of not fully comprehending and understanding and stumbling through your circumstances. All your ways will be unstable is what James says. So there's three ways that indecision makes us unstable. The first is in our emotions. It's a strain when you can't decide. You worry and you strain and you're confused and you can't sleep and you can't eat and you wonder, did I do the right thing? Am I going to do the right thing? And it creates an emotional instability in your life and you can't make up your mind. And a guy goes to the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist says, are you indecisive? And the guy responded, I used to be, now I'm not sure. <laughs> William James said this, he said, the most miserable person in the world is the person who is habitually indecisive. It causes unstable emotions. Secondly, the other way the indecision makes us unstable is in our relationships. Lack of commitment destroys marriages. When you can't decide, when you, when you don't have a priority structure functioning and working its way out in your marriage, do I, do I want in or do I want out? I can't get on with it, I can't get outside of it, I can't get with it, what am I going to do? I have a, a friend who is a counselor and he is a Roman Catholic priest and I remember one time he referred to me of the beautiful doctrine of marriage as described by the Catholic Church and he makes the statement, he says that marriage 
is, is a priority structure where you see God and then you see a couple who are wholly committed to each other with absolutely no distractions. And he refers to this as fidelity. And he says there must be, in the Catholic Church, there must be fidelity in a marriage and nothing or no one can can make its way in between that, that commitment that a husband and wife have together. There must not be indecision related to a priority structure as to how you're going to make decisions even as a couple. And they must be made with fidelity and togetherness and there is stability that comes into your relationships when this is true. So unstable relationships is one of the consequences of indecision and then unstable spiritual life. In verse seven, it says that man will not think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. So in our indecision, we, we actually are wounded in our hearts as we will not receive from the Lord what he actually has for us by way of wisdom. So it can block our prayers and indecision can keep us from God giving us what we're actually needing. Indecision can be spiritually devastating. Double-mindedness can lead to a double life. A spiritual schizophrenic, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. In Pilgrim's Progress, a wonderful Christian book, it talks about a man named Mr. Facing Both Ways. Mr. Facing Both Ways. That's when you want to go with your will instead of God's will. On Sunday, you come and you sing Onward Christian Soldiers, but on Monday, you go AWOL. Double-mindedness produces a double life, and it causes instability in all your ways, James says. So the problem is indecision. What's the solution? What's the the prescription for indecision? James says, get wisdom. Get wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And then he gives three practical steps. The first thing he says is you need to admit that you need it. You need to admit that you need God's wisdom. In verse five he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, there's a bit of sarcasm there in James' tone. Because everyone, to one degree or another, lacks wisdom. And he's saying if any of you don't have it all together, And James is the book of wisdom in the New Testament, by the way, like Proverbs is in the Old Testament. We all lack wisdom. It's universal. We all lack wisdom. Wisdom is different from knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge put into practice. Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. Wisdom is knowledge, it's making decisions the way God would want you to make those decisions. And the word wisdom in the Greek is Sophia. Sophia, and it, it literally is the combination of phila and Sophia, which literally is philosophy of life. 
It's a, a way of approaching things. And James would say, you must be singular in your way of approaching things, not duplicitous. So I have this priority structure in my own life, and it's what's keeping me going, to be honest with you. And, and here's how it goes. Every day, I wake up, and I pray that God will help me honor him in all the choices that I make in that day. So first and foremost, God. The second thing I pray is, God help me to honor my wife, Deb. Help me to honor my wife in all things. Second order of priority. Third thing, help me to honor this beautiful, wonderful church that you've allowed me to lead. Third, is the church in terms of me honoring, having an honoring lifestyle. And then fourthly, honor myself. In other words, make sure that I'm not living outside of the realm of my own belief system, my own singular way of honoring God. The honoring of God defines everything related to my relationships, related to my responsibilities, related to my future. Honoring God is the singular thing that I have asked God for on a daily, daily basis. And I ask him because I need him to help me understand practically what does it mean to honor him in the way I approach everything. And by everything, I mean comprehensively, universally, how can I honor him in the way I, God help me drive, right? How can, how can I honor him in the way I relate to people? How can I honor him in the way in which I relate to my children? How can I honor him in the way I relate to you? How can I honor him in the way in which I function? And, and so there is much to be learned as to what it means to honor God in all things. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So we must, first of all, admit that we lack wisdom. And so every day, we must pray for wisdom for the day that is in front of us. And may God help us, and he's more than willing. So maturity, we described last week, maturity was, James refers to it as not lacking in anything. In other words, maturity is the word perfection, and it literally means not lacking in anything. And the only person that was ultimately mature on this earth was Jesus himself. He lacked nothing. Whereas you and I, of course, and here's where James' sarcasm comes in, we lack many things. But what maturity is, maturity is a destination, not an arrival. And so we're moving towards this, this not lacking anything. And the way we, we actually get there is through prayer for wisdom, reading for wisdom, showing up for wisdom. And so this is how God works in our life, and this is the prescription. The first thing we have to do is admit. The second thing we have to do is we have to ask of God. James says if any person lacks wisdom, they must ask of God. 
So how do you get wisdom by listening to Oprah? Some people don't even know who Oprah is, which I find amazing. Do you find wisdom by reading Men's Health Magazine for advice on how to live? Do, how, how do you find wisdom in this day and age? James would say, if any of you ask wisdom, and he points to God, he said, go to God. Proverbs 2.6 says, it is the Lord who gives wisdom. From him comes knowledge and understanding. Not just knowledge, but also the application or the understanding of how to apply that knowledge. If God were to come to you here today and say, I'm going to give you one wish. I'm going to give you one wish. You can ask anything in the whole world. You can, you can have one wish come true. What would you ask for? Well, you may or may not know the story of Solomon because God did come to him and he did ask the question, Solomon, what is the one thing that you would ask me for? Because I will give it to you. And what does Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. Uh, he had the wisdom to ask for wisdom, which, which is the grace of God in action that that a human being would ask for something as precious as wisdom. Solomon admitted his need. Oh, Solomon was a broken man. If you read him, as wise as he was, he made some unbelievably poor decisions. He was very human. And he knew how badly he needed wisdom. And that's what he asked for. If God came to you and said, what do you want in life more than anything else? I'm going to give it to you. What would you say? How would you fill in the blank? How would you answer that question? Would you ask for wisdom? Would that be the first thing that would come to your mind? James says, ask. Ask for what? He says, ask for wisdom. And the reason we don't have wisdom, is, of course, is because we do not ask. In James chapter 4, verse 2, later we're going to get to this in this series, but again he says, you have not because you ask not. Twenty times in the New Testament it says, ask and it shall be given to you. The word in the Greek literally means keep on asking, be persistent, be continual in that ask Every morning I get up and I ask God to help me honor God, to honor my wife, to honor you, this church, and to honor who he's created me to be. It keeps me on the straight and narrow. This is a prayer that all of us must pray in a singular fashion. We must ask God for wisdom on how to live. Sometimes I might ask God 50 times in a day for wisdom. It's not an exaggeration. Some of you might call me at the office and before I pick up the phone, I might say, Lord, give me wisdom as I talk to this person. When I preach and I begin to prepare, I ask for God to give me wisdom in the preparation. If I'm meeting up with someone as their pastor, I ask God to give me wisdom for the moment or for the pain that they're in. God, give me wisdom as I speak to this person. On our property development, every, every move we made, we prayed for wisdom as a leadership team. So we admit it, that we need it, we ask for it, and then 
we anticipate it. This is so important that we actually anticipate in faith that God will answer because to not do so is to get lost once again and to become double-minded. The anticipation is the faith. It's what keeps you on the straight and narrow. He says, when you pray, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to them. But when they ask, they must believe and not doubt. We must anticipate that God is going to answer our prayer. And there is this condition, and it's the condition is that of faith. We need to believe. We need to have faith in the creator of the universe to show up in our decision making. Remember Peter? Peter, Peter's in the boat one day and Jesus comes walking on the water towards the boat and Peter in his zeal jumps out and starts walking towards the Lord. And of course, if you wanna walk on water, you gotta get out of the boat as the book says. Some of you have read that book. You gotta have faith. You know, it doesn't require faith to stay in the boat. Peter actually exhibited tremendous faith by getting out of the boat and approaching his Lord who was walking on the water. And he starts walking across the water. He's got his eyes on the Lord, but all of a sudden, what does he do? He does what just about every human being would do. He looks down and he looks around and he begins to sink. And it's it's. It's like a parable, it's, it's just how life is. Once we look down and we start looking around, instead of having our eyes on God above, we begin to sink. It's just a fact of life. While he has his eyes on the Lord, what is he doing? He's literally walking on water. The moment you get your, God, your eyes off the Lord and onto circumstance or onto that problem, you're dead in the water, as they say. If you have your eyes on the problem, you're gonna sink. You must believe and not doubt, is what James says. He who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And a lot of Christians, and I'm saying this, and I'm looking in the mirror as I say it, we, we're like corks in the ocean, blown around back and forth, and we're victims of circumstance, and, and some of us are blown, blown away when it comes to what is this trouble that I'm experiencing? And we've learned last week that, that trouble is a fact of life, and that we are called to be mature when traversing through troubling times. Hebrews 11, six says, and without faith it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who, who, who actually seek him. If you'll remember, I think it's in verse 11 or verse 12, last week I addressed the crown that you receive when you trust in God related to your problems. And the crown I suggested to you was not the eternal crown that you will wear in heaven that is bejeweled and set upon you. For some reason, I'm not, I'm not really overly motivated about walking around with a crown on my head. 
but the crown that's actually being referred to is the glory of God. It's the eternal nature of God. It's the, it's the outworking of God in our everyday life here on earth. This is what he's referring to. And, and James is saying, if you will but trust him in the midst of your problems, if you will ask him for wisdom, and if you will believe without doubt, you will receive that crown. He will show up in a glorious fashion. And it's a promise, of course, which is the third point of the message. And we learn that he will show up continually. He says, ask God who gives. In the Greek, that is a continuous tense. He gives and keeps on giving. He will give generously, the text says. Uh, His resources are unlimited. He has enough resources for everybody. He's got plenty to go around. And then finally, without finding fault, God gives cheerfully. He does not mock us for our lack. He does not mock us for our lack, nor should we mock each other. Where do you need wisdom right now? It might be in relation to your children. It might be in relation to your marriage. It might be in relation to your church. It might be in relation to your business or your work, your career. It might be in relation to an investment or a plan. It's interesting that in James 5 through 8 and 9 through 11, he gives us this idea of practically anticipating what it is that we need by way of wisdom. And of all the areas that James could have chosen to give as an example, he chose money, by the way. He gives money as the example. He knows that this is one area where we humans are often most preoccupied. More people make unwise decisions and foolish choices regarding their finances than anything else in the world. And I do love that we are offering that, that new course, once again, the total money makeover. I love that we offer that here at the bridge. And if, if money and our finances and budgeting and wisdom around this area are an issue for you, man, sign up for that class, for that course. There's a couple of guys leading it that have a lot of experience and a lot of wisdom, and they'll be sharing with you. And I just want to recommend that to you. It's a great, great course. So all of the areas that James would mention, he mentions money as an example, but it's only an example. We can apply these principles to every area of our life. There's a fantastic promise here that that we have to claim it. And there's a couple of things that I want to say to you in conclusion regarding this message. Number one, I want to say this. God does not want to make the decision for you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say pray and ask God to make the decision for you. Otherwise, you would never mature. God wants you to grow up and own the decisions that you make. In Genesis 1, we learn that he made us in his image. He is a volitional creature, God is. He chooses based upon his conscience, which of course is holy and pure. And he calls upon us to make choices based upon our heart, our conscience. To make choices that honor him and help humanity. This is what he calls for. Many times I've heard genuinely sincere Christians say, I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm just going to leave it up to the Lord. 
There is value, by the way, in being still and, and learning and knowing God. There's tremendous value in not rushing headlong into a significant decision in your life. There is, there is very much uh, indication in God's word that patience in the process of decision making is definitely virtuous, definitely. But a decision needs to be made and ultimately it's in your lap. The decision is yours. And just because, by the way, the situation seems to go awry and just because there seems to be negative consequences related to your decision doesn't mean you made the wrong choice. I remember the church that I went to before this one. I left a healthy, vibrant, beautiful church in Calgary and I accepted a position as a senior executive pastor of a church in Kelowna and in the first three days, the pastor who hired me there changed my job description three times in the first three days. That's unsettling. Then he had a heart attack. It should have been me that had the heart attack. He had a heart attack. And he was not available for ministry for three years. I was installed before the very first Sunday there as the lead pastor of this very large church at 34 years old. And, and I've been thinking in my prayer time, God, I think, I think I made the wrong decision in coming here. This is a disaster. And that was my first inclination. And then as the three years unfolded and the pastor was sort of behind the scenes pulling strings and yet here I am being asked to lead this church, it was the most difficult leadership challenge of my life and I was miserable. Every day I was miserable, I'm just gonna admit it to you. Every day I was miserable because I was leading but I wasn't leading and if you're a leader, you know what I mean. It can create tremendous misery and that's where I was at for three years. And then he had a second heart attack and he resigned and, and what ended up happening was one particular board member with that pastor who resigned made the decision related to my future in that church and to be honest, we were dishonest in the process and I found myself on the outside looking in after having invested so much. And I remember looking to God saying, how could you, how could you, how could you, how could you let me make that decision? How could, this has been the worst three years of my life. Here I am in Kelowna and I, 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 I thought for sure this was to be my, my assignment, my calling. And I've invested three years and, and now I'm being told that, that I need to, I need to find something other and the chairman of the committee said something to me, it was so funny, he said Brian, you have a unique personality and he said you have this sort of dominant strength to your personality he says, I think you belong in Toronto <laughs> true story and I looked at him I said well, what are you talking about, he said well you're this kind of bodybuilding type of guy you're modern he says, we're a bunch of like hicks from Saskatchewan and Alberta and it's, it's like, you know, we look at you sometimes and we go, wow, he'd be amazing in Toronto. <laughs> I didn't want to hear that. 
Again, again, I'm thinking I made the worst mistake of my life. And, and the interesting thing is that the instrument of pain in my life, that chairman of the, the pulpit committee there in Kelowna, he had it dead bang on. I thought he was the devil. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is sometimes we, we, we end up in the middle of a scenario where we think that a tremendous mistake has been made by either us or God, and in reality, he's actually has you in the very center of his will. And here's what's true, is everything I learned in the three years of leadership at that church, I have implemented here at the bridge. And God has shown up in a huge way, huge. Not, again, not because of anything. No, listen, if you know me, you know I'm a flawed human being. But God, by his mercy and his grace, and even in the midst of what I thought was a very poor decision on my part, he comes through and he redeems the situation and he's preparing you for something you had no idea. I left a church of 2,000 people to come to what was a church of less than 60, 70 people at the time. And everybody said, what are you doing? And it was the perfect thing. As I have lived out my life here at the bridge in Markham, it was the perfect thing. I have never been so fulfilled, so gratified as to the ministry that I've been able to express in this. It's been a pure gift, but I got to tell you, it was through pain and suffering that I was birthed into this part of the world. It was pain and suffering. And I have learned to drop to my knees and to ask God for wisdom because I, in and of myself, am error prone and very much able to make decisions that are less than. I need God's wisdom not only to make the right decision, but to see his hand in my life as the decision is being carried out. Father, in Jesus' name, as we come before you right now, we're so grateful for your brother, James, Jesus. We're, we're so grateful that he wrote this wonderful book. And there is so much wisdom for us in life and living. I just pray right now that for every person who's here, anyone who's listening online, that, that you would spiritually get on your knees and, and ask God to help you and assist you with the problem that you're actually persevering in the midst of. He wants to give you wisdom. There's a promise. There's a promise. He'll take you through. It may not be comfortable. And you might have questions in the process, but he'll take you through and he'll take you to a glorious future. He will. So Father, be with us as we worship you and as we place our hands or place our lives in your hands through this attitude of worship even now. In Jesus' name, amen.